The book of Galatians has time and again been used by God to begin a deep work in the hearts of his people. It has been referred to as the Magna Carta of the early church, the Declaration of Freedom. It would seem that each time God's people lose sight of the gospel of freedom and grace, God uses this book of Galatians to bring about a renewed excitement, a renewed passion for what real Christianity is all about, Jesus plus nothing. Let's join our teacher, Ross Gilbert, of Crossways to Life, as we study the book of Galatians to discover what we have been freed from in order to be freed to. Okay, why don't we continue on? We're going to start in, uh, in verse 11 here, and we're going to look at a story um, about, about Cephas, about Peter here, and it's not one of Peter's shining moments, as, as we'll see. Um, I don't know why. Maybe that's it. Yeah, hidden. Yeah, he wasn't acting like Peter because he calls him Peter later on, which is interesting. Um, but uh, but yeah, he, he calls him Cephas here. Um, the again, the first response might be, "Man, Paul, you're throwing Peter under the bus here. You're uh, what? What are you doing here? Or or why even why even include this?" And I'm glad for a couple reasons why he included this. But I think I'm more glad that God isn't writing his scripture right now and using me. Because uh, otherwise, I think Peter would look like, you know, perfect compared to me um, and my, my faults, my mistakes. But, but Paul is not trying to tear down Peter to make himself better. What Paul's doing, though, is he's refuting the charges that are coming against him. He's trying to assert the fact that, yes, he's an apostle and, yes, he also has authority. And so he's not this man-pleaser. He's not out to keep people, make people happy. In fact, he's willing to exert the authority, and he, he shows that in an example of what he had to do with, with Peter when Peter got caught into some trouble. And so he's not throwing Peter under the bus, but he's, he's actually, I think, uh, for a couple reasons, God led him to include this. Now, most theologians would say that this event here that... that uh, uh, is going on with Peter would happen before the Jerusalem Council. So they would place this event sometime uh, before Acts 15, so probably right at the end of Acts chapter 14. And the sole reason being is they can't imagine Peter, who makes this wonderful defense of, of Gentiles and not returning to the law, then behaving in this manner, as we're about to see. However, the, the context... And, and the way the wording fits doesn't seem to, to support that view. See, he's made this, you know, to the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 2 are all about the Jerusalem council and what's happened. And then he begins verse 11 with what? But. but, in light of what happened in Jerusalem, but still, look what happened with Peter, right? And again, Paul's going through a very historical set. He's going through time. And so it, it would, to me, it would make more sense to place this sometime after the Jerusalem Council. So I think it's sometime around Acts 15, verse 34, I think it is, because they all returned back to Antioch then, and that's where, they, where Paul's at, because when, when Cephas came to Antioch. And so to me, I think it actually occurs after, after the Jerusalem Council. The only reason to say it occurred before is because I can't imagine Peter doing that. Listen, Peter had flesh. <laughs> He's just like you and I. And just because you come to some revelation, just because you come to see something, doesn't mean you consistently live out of that. Can, can, we, can I get an amen? Yeah. I'm not alone, right? We don't have a testimony time. We don't have time for that tonight. But, but it's true, right? Just because you come to see something, doesn't mean you perfectly live it out. And here's the case of Peter. He's had the gospel revealed to him multiple times. And yet something happens and look what, he, look what he does. So let's start in verse 11. But, so they return to Antioch. It's after the Jerusalem council. They're all pumped. They're all excited. They're, wow, look at what God's done. Look what he's doing. He's defending his gospel. And they're all excited about the gospel. But then when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul said, I had to oppose him to his face. I had to stand up to him. And, and this word oppose, again, was I, I had to stand up in defense. Because he stood condemned. Because what he was doing was wrong. Now, I would love to spend some time and go into, you know, how to properly conflict, uh, confront someone because it's important and, and there are a, a need for it. And maybe we'll get some time in, when we get to, to the last chapter in Galatians. Um, I don't have time to do it tonight, but I want you to see this. I oppose them to how? 
He didn't begin a whisper campaign. Right? You know, pre- please pray for Peter. Right? It sounds good that way. Please pray for Peter because Peter is caught in sin. Did you hear? Right? He didn't begin that. He says, no, I, I went to Peter's face. I opposed him to his face. Now, you might say, well, what about Matthew 18? Matthew 18, Jesus gives, you know, lots of rules in, in, in order to how to confront someone. You know, you go to him in private. <laughs> you know, he, he confronted him in front of everyone. <laughs> You're supposed to go to him in private. That doesn't work. You take another with you, and that doesn't work. Then you do it in front of everyone. And Peter might be thinking, hey, I was there from Matthew 18. Paul, <laughs> you should have done this, <laughs> right? But see here, Peter was an elder. And, and in Timothy, I think it's Timothy, it might be Titus, Paul gives instructions of how to confront an elder. And that's what Paul's doing here. And there, there's grave consequences again, what Paul's going. Again, the Word of God is, doesn't, it's in complete agreement here. It doesn't con- conflict anywhere. So when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. So, you know, when he came, he first came, we were all Gentiles there, and we had wonderful, you know, BLT sandwiches, bacon, lettuce, and tomato. We had sausages for breakfast. Uh, You know, it was a great time, right? So it wasn't just what they ate, but he was even actually sitting with them. Now, again, that's big. That's big. Because in the Jewish culture... I mean, you did not even, you didn't sit and eat a meal with a Gentile. If a Gentile invited you over for dinner, you said thanks, but no thanks. Because a Gentile was a dog. That's how they viewed them. They viewed them a dog, right? So are there any Gentiles here tonight? Yeah. If we were in Jerusalem at this time and you walked by a Jew, he would have called you a dog. I mean, that's some pretty, pretty serious race tensions going on at this point, Right? And so that's what's going on. But he's sitting with them. He's having no problem with them. But all of a sudden, a few people from Jerusalem come. A few Jews come. And what does Peter do? Yeah, peer pressure. Takes a step back. Begins to withdraw. No longer sitting with these people. No longer eating with them. No longer sharing meals with these people. Now, has he come out condemning them? No. No. So he's, he's honored the gospel, right? <laughs> he's not preaching law at them. But he's not applying the gospel at this point. Right? And there's, I mean, it's one thing to know the gospel, but it's a whole other thing to apply it. Amen? How many people have discovered that? It's one thing to know grace. It's a whole other thing to live grace. Right? And we're all learning to live grace. Anyone got it down pat? Am I the only one? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, humility, right? Yeah, we're all learning. We're all learning grace, right? And so here was Peter learning grace because he withdraws. Why? In fact, he withdrew so much that even the rest of the Jews in Antioch, all the other Jews that were there and before that were just just living with the Gentiles, there was no difference anymore, they also joined him in the hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas, I mean, Barnabas, even Barnabas, this great man. I mean, Barnabas is, is really an unsung hero in the church. He's the one that brought Paul in and said, give this guy any chance. Let him, let him speak. He knows what he's talking about. He was right there on that first missionary journey. But Peter, all the other Jews, and even Barnabas were carried away by their hypocrisy. What an ugly word. It means two-faced. It means putting on a mask. It's really what they were doing. Saying one thing, living another way. Yep, we're not under law, but I'm going to do this over here. Right? And it was so bad, the whole church was being divided. Right? But when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? What's he saying? He's kind of quoting what Peter said in the Jerusalem Council. Right? He goes on, listen, we're, by, we're Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. We know the law. We understand the law. But you, being a Jew, knowing the law, you don't live by the law. Why are you going to compel Gentiles to do the same thing? He's basically saying, Peter, 
I remember at a council you saying this once. Right? He's reminding him. But he did it in the presence of all because all the whole church was being led away. Right? I don't think he was trying to tear down Peter. I think he was trying to save the church and Peter as well. So Peter's fortunate for it that this happened. Right? And that's why Paul gives instructions in, in, in either Titus or Timothy about confronting an elder so that the whole church comes to see what's going on. Right? So the whole church doesn't fall into the same sin. That, well, that's exactly what was happening here. So we confronted Peter in front of all. And Peter had to say, yeah, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. And Peter didn't carry a grudge. He was able to, to love Paul and respect Paul. In fact, in, in one of his letters, in Second Peter, he says, listen to Paul. Although some of the things he has to say are hard to understand, listen to him. He knows what he's saying. So they had no ill will. I think Peter really was thankful for, for being pointed out what he was doing. But you see, here's Peter. See, think about Peter. When we, you know, when you, you read the story of Peter, Peter was a people pleaser. He's a huge people pleaser. I'm sure nobody in this room can relate to that, but Peter was a people pleaser. I mean, he was desperately trying to please Jesus all the time. Right? I'll stand by you, Jesus. I won't deny you, Jesus. I'm going to impress you, Jesus. So he was trying to please, please Jesus. Jesus is out of the room, and now he's in front of other people. These ladies and this, these people who are asking him, are you with Jesus on the night of his crucifixion? And what are these doing there? Oh, no, no, I don't even know the guy. I don't know who you're talking about. You're crazy, woman. You're, you're off your rocker. Trying to gain favor with them as well. So people, Peter was a people pleaser. And so now, when he's in this, this situation, and he's stuck, do I... Fear the wrath of these Jews? Do I stay with the Gentiles? And Peter drifted. I don't blame the guy. I've done it myself. Right? But I'm glad Paul didn't. Because otherwise, the gospel would have drifted with it. Right? Paul's, am I a man pleaser now? <laughs> no. I'm going to defend the gospel. I will not relent, not for a moment. So we are Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, we know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even when we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh may be justified. Now, Paul says the same thing in this one verse three different ways. Do you think Paul's got a stuttering problem? Well, since it's the Holy Spirit who's inspired, you think the Holy Spirit has a stuttering problem? No. What do you think Paul and you know the Holy Spirit really is trying to get across? Something important, right? I mean, if you repeat something to your kids, why are you doing that? So they make sure they hear, right? So if you repeat something to someone, it's important. If I say something multiple times, it's what? You're catching on, right? Do I need to repeat myself one more time? Or are you getting it? Right? Good. Amen. So here's, here's Paul, and he's going to repeat himself three times. So the first time is this. Nevertheless, knowing, one, that a man is not justified. Now, this is the first time the word justified makes its appearance in the, in the, in the book of Galatians. So, so let's understand, what does it mean to be justified? What are some definitions you've heard to describe what is justification? What are some of the things? Something's been, something's been uh, rocked by, like, maybe uh, the, situ the, the situation has been come to a conclusion, I think, like, uh, like in, in the court of law, I'm thinking of uh, 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 judgment has been put down. Okay, judgment uh, delivered. Yeah, how many people have heard that one before? You know, you, you kind of break up justify just as if I never sinned. Yeah, just as if I never sinned. I heard another one, someone said forgiven, Yeah. right? I would say made righteous. What does that mean? 
something that we did do, it was given to us. Made. Made. So somebody that sounds like an, an external force. Yep. Being yep. What about righteous? What does righteous mean? Okay. In right standing and made acceptable, I heard. What about set free? Set free? Okay, I'm not I'm not sure how that would and it's kind of set free I guess. So do, um, do we mix uh, do we are, do we um, I don't know how, do we tend to mix the words up in some ways that we take all these key words and we we, we just intertwine them. Yeah. It means to be grace, it means yeah. Here's here's the thing. The, these ones up here are are not really what it means to be justified. Justification is much more than this. And I think this is what you're getting at, kind of mixing some words together. And, and so to be forgiven doesn't mean to be justified. This really here is the best definition of what it means to be justified, made righteous. In fact, the word justified literally means to be made righteous. If, if you were to look at the Greek word, it's the identical word. It's just the verb form of it. So justified literally means to be made righteous. And made is that to be created, constituted, formed, righteous. So what does righteous mean? Well, literally that means to be in right standing. But this is my favorite. To be made acceptable. Right? To not just made accepted, but made acceptable. Do you understand the difference? Right? You're actually now worthy of acceptance. That's incredible. Right? And, and so we're set free from not being acceptable. We're set free from all that was on us, this condemnation, this, this sentence of death. We're set free from that because we've been made acceptable. So really, you know, this is the theological term. This is the layman term. Guess which I like. <laughs> this is the one that rings true to me. Right? We're accepted. We're loved. God not only, not only does God love you, He actually likes you. Isn't that incredible? Turn to your neighbor and say, God likes you. Yeah. Right? And you've been made likable. <laughs> right? I mean, we don't always feel that way. But that's the reality, right? So that's really what this word justify, justification means, right? So nevertheless, knowing a man is not justified, made righteous, made acceptable by the works of the law, but, is that wonderful word again, but, number two, through faith in Christ Jesus, even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified how? By faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Finally, number three, since by the law no flesh will be justified. Right? Now again, it's interesting because the word justified appears three times. Maybe I'll use a different color for this. Get fancy. So here's the word justified. Here's the first one. Here's the second one. And here's the third one. The first time the word justified is used, it's talking about um, present tense. Meaning what? Meaning that, you know, in, in our English language, we have three tenses. In the Greek language, we had multiple tenses. But what's the present tense? No. Right now, right? So Paul's saying this, knowing a man is not presently justified presently made righteous you're not keeping or maintaining your righteousness by the works of the law right whether or not you're you're eating with gentiles or you're you're eating um uh, ham and pork and and so forth you're not made ju justified you're not made righteous made acceptable that way but 
through faith in Christ. Even we believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified. Now, this tense here is something called the aorius tense. Now, we don't have that in English language, so this is where we get lost, right? But the aorius tense essentially is past tense, sort of, kind of, not quite, but sort of, right? So it's easy to think of in that sense. In other words, it means this. It's an event that happened sometime in the past and is completed. Now, why do I make that up? I mean, I'm not bringing that up. Why, why, what's the point of this? I'm not you know, trying to show off with Greek. That's not the point. It's rather this, it's done. It's completed. You are not being justified. You are justified. That is glorious. That is simply glorious. We're running out of time, so I'm just going to, you know, you write down these references, but Romans 5, verse 1, we have been justified by faith, past tense. Romans 3, verse 21, knowing that a man is not made righteous by the law, but now the righteousness of God has come. But now it has come. It's done. Romans 5, verse 17, um, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Romans 5.18, by the obedience of the one, the many have been made righteous. Right? Uh, sorry, that's Romans 5.19. That's, I mean, it's glorious. 1 Corinthians 1.30, by his doing, by God's doing, we're in Christ who is becoming to us righteousness. We have it. It's ours. Glorious. Hebrews 10.10, by one offering, he has perfected those in Christ. He's made you acceptable. It's done. It's finished. Right? Isn't that what he said on the cross? It is finished. Loosely translated, there's nothing left for you and I to do. Right? It's done. We're justified. Past tense, by faith. And then finally, since the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. This is future. So you're not presently justified in, by faith or by works. You're not in the future going to be justified by works. Why? Because you already have been justified by what God has done. That's good news. That's great news. And this is what it means, Paul, in that Roman, or sorry, Acts 13, verses 38 and 39, when he says you've been freed from all things. That word freed is literally, guess what word? Justified. You've literally been justified, made righteous, made acceptable from all things, of which the law of Moses could never justify you, make you righteous, acceptable. It's done. Yes. 13, 38, 39. Right? So it's more than just being forgiven. Remember, forgiveness has been proclaimed. But to those who believe, you're justified. To those who believe in Christ, put their faith in Him, in Christ. They've been justified. Done deal. Completed action. It's not something to come. It's not something we need to add to. It is finished. And that's what Paul's trying to say here to, to Peter. Right? I heard one person say this to, to Peter when he confronted him. Peter, I smell ham on your breath. <laughs> right? Don't you understand? We're not justified, made righteous by what we do or don't do. We've been made justified by the fact that we put our faith in Christ, and He did it. It's the obedience of the One, Jesus Christ, not the obedience of you. It doesn't work that way. It's done. Verse 17, But if we, seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? See, what He's saying is, Peter... God told you to eat with Gentiles. God told you to, to live with the Gentiles. He told you to eat of the, of the unclean animals. If what you're saying is that we need to, to be justified in Christ, by, in Christ by the law and so forth, then is God actually, Christ actually leading you to sin? May it never be. God would never lead you to sin. Never, ever, ever lead you, lead you to, into sin. If you're saying, you know, maybe God's going to lead you into sin. No. No. How did one lady come to me? She was wanting to leave her husband. And, and she goes, what do you think? I said, what do you think the Bible says? Well, I know what the Bible says. But do you think God would lead me to leave my husband so I could be married to this other guy? No. How do you know? 
Because God's not an adulterer. He's not a liar. He doesn't break his covenant. He doesn't break his word. He would never do that. But how do you know? <laughs> May it never be. He was not a minister of sin. So Peter, he led you to be with the Gentiles. So why are you doing this? It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. Yes? Uh, number 13, while we still seem to be justifying Christ, mm -hmm. means like we are justified already. And it says we ourselves have also been found a sinner, like I'm So if we've been, okay, we're justified in Christ, but we need to follow the law. Well, if we're following the law, guess what, Peter? We've been eating with Gentiles all this time. You know, we've broken the law. No, yeah, yeah. Verse 18, for if I once rebuild what I've once destroyed, for if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I'm going to put the law back into place, guess what? Guilty. I'm done. I don't stand a chance. So why do I want to rebuild this law? Why do I want to put it back into place? Now, it's, it's interesting. It's just, in verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law. Literally, it really means I died to law. And I find it interesting that it's that. It's, it's not just I died to the law, because it's true that we died to the Mosaic law, but really it's just law in general. Meaning, any commands that I come up with, any rules that I come up with on my own, in order to judge my own acceptance, my own worth, Paul says, I died to that. Right? So that I might live to God. See, the law can't touch me now. The law can't touch you. That's glorious. Think about this for a second. Um, suppose right now, on, on, on downtown King Street right here, there's a guy who, who walks into a bank and he's got a ski mask on, a gun, and a, and, a, and a paper bag. Guess what he's there to do? Rob the bank. Sure enough, he does. He robs the bank. He walks out of the, out of the bank and he jumps into his getaway car, but he's got the worst luck because there's a cop there. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but police officers are trained that when they see a guy come out of a bank with a ski mask, a gun, and a paper bag, they're trained to follow him because he's probably a bank robber. There's no cops here, right? <laughs> So sure enough, he engages now in a high-speed chase, hunting down this bank robber, and they're weaving in and out of traffic down King Street, until eventually the bank robber runs out of control, and he smashes into a, a traffic light, and he dies instantly. And the cop pulls up behind him, gets out of the car, comes up, sure enough, bag full of cash, ski mask, the, the, the gun, he sees the note, he's got the radio call over the, uh, the, from the headquarters about someone who robbed the bank, I mean, he's got him dead to rights. You know, he's dead. So, um, does he arrest him at this point? Why not? He's guilty. He's dead. What can the law do to him? Nothing. Paul says, for through the law, I died to the law. The law can't touch me. The law can't, can't grab me anymore because the law demanded death. But guess what? That death's already been done. For through the law... The law demanded death. Christ died. He provided that death. But not only that, what else happened on that cross? Verse 20. Well, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ now lives in me. See, it's more than just being forgiven. That's why justification is more than being forgiven. If it was just forgiveness, it would all be about Christ's death. Because that's what Christ's death provided. Right? But the fact that when Christ died on that cross, who was in there with him? We were. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Wonderful. Wonderful. I've been set free from the law. Law can't touch me now. I'm out of that system. I'm no longer joined to the law. Because I've been crucified to, to the law. I died with Christ. I'm not in the process of dying. I'm not still dying. I'm not dying every day. I have been crucified with Christ. What's your time of death? 2,000 years ago with Christ. 
We were crucified with Him. More than just taking care of your sins, He took care of you. He took care of us. Because we were the problem. He took care of the sinner. Now it's great that I have been crucified. If you have a King James Bible and you read that verse, it would say, I am crucified. And the reason for it, again, is we've got to go back to the, the Greek text. And it's what's called a, a perfect tense. In fact, if you want to get really particular, it's the perfect passive indicative. Pretty fancy, isn't it? Amen. Right? Now, why am I saying that? To show off? Partly. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here, here's the thing. The perfect tense means this. It's something that happened in the past, but it has ongoing results to today. Right? So what is Paul getting across? I have been, past tense, crucified with Christ, but it has ongoing results today. It's kind of like I was married almost seven years ago now, and it has ongoing results today. Good ones, but it has ongoing results. Right? The same idea. I was crucified with Christ 2,000 years ago. It has ongoing results. Because it's no longer I who live. That's the perfect tense. The passive means I didn't do it. I don't need to die to self. I don't even know how you die to self. Someone want to explain that one to me. You can't die to self. It's impossible to die to self. I mean, that's schizophrenia. I mean, do you separate yourself and then murder yourself? And then who lives? I don't understand. Nowhere in Scripture does God ask you to die to self. Romans 6, 6, though, says, do you not know? Your old self died. I love how Paul says that. Romans 6, 3, he begins, do you not know? You haven't heard? That when God placed you into Christ, he also placed you into his death. Knowing this, our old man, our old self, was crucified. That's the aorist tense. Past tense, completed action. All done. You're not in the process of dying. Verse 4 of Romans 6 says you've been buried. You're gone. That sinner is done. His history. He no longer lives. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I am gone. It's no longer the old me. Because that old me was rotten. Rotten to the core. But now. Now who lives? Christ lives in the new me. There's two me's, there's two eyes in this. And I like what one person said. He says, this isn't Paul's theology, this is Paul's testimony. See, what if we read the verse this way? Saul has been crucified with Christ, and Saul no longer lives. But Christ now lives in Paul. In the life which Paul now lives, he lives by faith in the Son of God, who loved Paul so much that he gave himself up for Paul. Right? The old you died, and now Christ can live through the new you. Isn't that what he says here, Romans, uh, Galatians 2.19? For through the law I died to the law, so that, here's the purpose, that I would live to God. Well, how do I do that? Verse 20. And verse 20 is a great verse, because verse 20, Paul has a habit, he gives a whole answer in a single verse, and then he spends the rest of the chapter or book explaining the answer. That's what he's done right here. Whole answer right here. How do I live the Christian life? Galatians 2.20. Right there. I don't know of a better verse that summarizes it. How do I live now that I'm saved? Listen, you died with Christ. It's not up to you to live the Christian life. It's now letting Christ live his life through you. Well, what's my part? Well, the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, here on planet Earth, I live by faith. In who? In Jesus Christ. To do what? Let him live through me. Let him pull it off. And that's not lazy Christianity. Because I'm not letting Christ show up outside of me. I'm letting Christ show up where? Inside of me. You're involved. You're active. Right? Come unto me all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Why? Because it's easy. And my burden is light. Right? Guess what? You're right there. You're pulling the yoke with him. But it's easy. Why? Because who's doing all the work? It's not your strength. It's his strength. It's not your patience. It's his patience. It's not your love. It's his love. It's not I, but Christ. Almighty God. 
That's incredible. Right now, God lives in every single one of you guys. And when you go home tonight, guess who you're taking with you? God. So He can reveal His life in you. But if you don't know you died, guess who you're revealing? <laughs> so. Revealing so. So have you accepted your death? Have you praised Jesus for your death and accepted this truth, this fact of history that I have died and it's no longer me but Christ? Christ who lives in me. Again, I go back to that, that perfect passive tense. The passive, it was done. It wasn't something I had to pull off. It's, it's just like forgiveness. Did you have to do something to be forgiven? No, we just accept that gift. The same is true with our death. You don't need to go and pull it off. We just accept it. Here's the last thing. Remember I said it's a perfect pa passive indicative. Indicative means this. It's a fact of history. It is the strongest tense that, that the Greek language was to say, it's not maybe, it's not if, no, no, mark it down, fact of history. That's what Paul's saying here. And I didn't pull it off. I didn't do this. It was God who did this. Don't you know, when he placed you into Christ, he also put you in his death. He made it all possible. It was done to me, not by me. Right? You can't die to self. You can't crucify yourself. I'll give you a nail, three nails and a hammer and defy you to do it, right? You might get the feet, one hand, and throw the hammer up and hope, but that's about it, right? It simply doesn't work. But God does it for you. He took care of it. The only thing that's up to us is, have you accepted it? Do you know? Have you received it by faith? Right? But he goes on to say in verse 21, for I do not nullify the grace of God. One translation, I don't frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. This is what I want to close with. I want to challenge you with this question. What have you added to the gospel for your righteousness? What is it it's going to take for you to be acceptable? What's it going to take for you to be acceptable to God? Anything? Most Christians say, well, I'm acceptable to God. Maybe they've come to see that. Let me ask you this question. Are you acceptable to yourself? Oh, <laughs> a little closer to the nerve there, right? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Acceptable to God and acceptable to yourself are, are forever linked. They're two sides of the same coin. If you're acceptable to God but not acceptable to yourself, then you're saying one of two things, probably both actually. One, either you have higher standards than God. Right? Because if you're acceptable to God but not acceptable to yourself, you must have higher standards than God. By the way, what are God's standards? Yeah. Perfection is as, prefer as perfect as who? As God. Okay? So you have higher standards than God. You need to be more perfect than God. And two, what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. That's what you're saying if you're not acceptable to yourself. Because listen, God made you acceptable. But what's it going to take for you to accept yourself? Do you need to, to lose weight? Do you need to um, uh, read your Bible more? Do you need to go to church more? Do you need to memorize the Bible more? Do you need to um, curse less? Do you need to witness more? whatever you want to add to it. What do you need to do in order for you to become acceptable to yourself? And whatever that is, that's what you have added to this gospel. Yes? Well, I just, just a comment. I mean, I think the reason why that's such a stumbling block for so much of us, for so many of us, is because that's how we were raised, right? To, to have all of those Jesus books. Yeah. But now, here it is presented. What are we going to do? Are we going to yield? Are we going to yield? 
Or are we going to stand and say, no, God, your gospel is one of Jesus plus nothing. You have made me acceptable as I am today. Whether I get better or worse doesn't matter. I am still acceptable. I'm out of time, sorry. I am completely acceptable. And if you don't, you are frustrating the grace of God. You are nullifying it. You're basically saying, God, I can do better, and you didn't need to die. Your death was wasted. So I challenge you. Go before God. Don't you try and figure it out yourself. Go before God and say, God, what have I added to the gospel? What's it going to take for me to accept myself? Now, before we go, I want to play something for you. If Jacqueline, want to hit the lights. I want you to just kind of close your, uh, close your binders and, and listen to um, uh, this kind of message uh, by a guy named uh, Graham Cook on this issue of understanding the, the, the love of God and the acceptance of God. you because he loves 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 you because that is what he is like it is his nature to love and you will always be the beloved and his love is unchanging and he loves you a hundred percent. He won't love you any better when you become better. He loves you a hundred percent right now. And even if you have no plans to become better, he will still love you one hundred percent. Because he loves you, because that's the way that he is. And even if you don't want to change, he will love you a hundred percent. Even if you have no plans to walk with Him, He will love you 100%. Because that's His nature. He loves all the way, all the time. His love is unchanging. What will change, says the Lord, is your ability to receive my love. And this evening, I want to cram some more of that ability inside you. So I challenge you, says the Lord, open your heart to me. Open your heart to me. And you will receive more of my love than you've ever experienced before. I dare you, says the Lord. Come on, open your heart to me. Give me your heart. Give me whatever your obstacle is. I'll take it. I'll remove it out of the way. Because I love you as you are right now. I love you 100% as you are right this moment. I love you as you are. So be loved. You are the beloved. It is your job, says the Lord, to be loved outrageously. It is why I chose you. 
That is why I set my love upon you, that you would live as one who is outrageously loved, that you would receive a radical love, so radical, it'll blow all your paradigms of what you think love is. And no, says the Lord, I will love you outrageously all the days of your life. Because I don't know how to be any different. This is who I am. And this is who I will always be. This is the I am that I promised you. I am he that loves you outrageously. And you may love me back with the love that I give you. You may love me back outrageously with the outrageous love that I bestow upon you. And know this, says the Lord, you can only love me as much as you love yourself. So my love comes this evening to set you free from yourself, to set you free from how you see yourself, to set you free from the smallness of your own thinking about yourself. My love comes to set you free from rejection and from shame and from low self-esteem and from despair and from abuse. Because when I look at you, says the Lord, I see something that I love. I see someone that I can love outrageously. And I have so much to bestow upon you, so much to give you, so many places to take you in my heart. But you can't go there unless you allow me to love you. And my love for you will break every barrier, bring every wall crashing down. And know this, says the Lord, my love damages fear. My love hates fear. My love will fight fear. It will fight fear in you. It will fight fear around you. And if you have fear this evening, says the Lord, then know that you have a treat in store. Because my perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear where I am present. Because my love casts out fear. Beloved, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. And in my love, I want you to feel good about yourself. He loves you because 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 he loves you 
because he loves you, 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 because he loves you. Because he loves you. He loves you outrageously. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Gives me chills to think about the fact that God Almighty loves me because he loves me. Because that's who he is. You are loved. You are the beloved. You can't get any more loved. You can't get any more acceptable. You can't do anything to get any better. And even if you get worse, he loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. He loves you. You. He knows all about you. And he loves you. Heavenly Father, What a glorious gospel. We are yours. We are your beloved. We're loved by you. Not because of us. Not because of what we do or don't do. But I thank you, Father, that you love us because of what you have done. You have made us acceptable. You've made us loved. We're okay. We can rest. We can give up trying to be okay and now just accept this wonderful gift of righteousness and not return back to the law, not return back to a, a, a code of performance of trying to, to measure up, but one that Father can rest in the message of the cross, realizing this wonderful truth that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but you, God, you, God, now live in and through this new, lovable, acceptable creation. We thank you, Father. Show us where we have added to your gospel, where we have impeded this love, the barriers that we have thrown up, the things that we have put in our way to, to try to earn acceptance, that we can rest in this glorious message. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Paul's history lesson is over. Now he's going to start getting into it. <laughs> and I uh, look forward to, to Galatians chapter 3 next week. God bless you guys and go in peace. This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.